You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Okay, what a tragedy. I mean, think about that. 30,000 men were killed. And then in verse 11, we are told that the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, and Eli's two sons were slain in the battle. Quite a calamity, wouldn't you uh, agree here? This broken world is full of suffering. That's not what God wanted. He knew this would happen, yet because of His love for mankind, He wanted us to experience the love, joy, and purpose that can only be found with free will. Even when you're choosing to live in obedience to Him, you'll experience the indirect effects of our sinful nature. And as Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, if you choose to live in disobedience to Him, you'll experience the direct consequences of that choice. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Danger of Presumption. begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we pray now that you'd bless the remainder of our time together, God, as we study your word. Lord, open up this chapter to us. Help us to learn all of the lessons that are served up for us here. Lord, tailor it to meet specific needs. Uh, Minister to each one in a very relevant and personal uh, way. Father, we'd ask that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be in operation during this time in the areas of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy. God, speak to us. Now, finally, God, give us ears to hear what the great teacher who is the Spirit would say to us. Father, as always, we'd ask that my words would be your words. God, help me to say only those things that you want me to say. God, we thank you for providing this opportunity. Bless each one now. Lord, keep us safe. Lord, keep us healthy. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, the danger of presumption, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Okay, let me set up this morning's Bible study for you. In chapter 4, what we have here is the record, and that record now moves from the religious, all of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, so it now moves from the religious to the political scene. So let's pick up now in verse 1. And there we are told, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Okay, so it appears God's people, Israel, 
has grown tired of the Philistines' oppression and decided to attack them. And so Israel, according to our text, notice, camped at a place called Ebenezer, which is about a day's journey from the uh, Shiloh, where the tabernacle had been uh, set up, while their enemies, the Philistines, established their battle formation at Aphek, which was located about 25 miles west of Shiloh. Now, during this particular time, a little bit of background, there was no great world power such as Egypt or Assyria, and it's not to say that those nations didn't exist, uh, but there weren't any seeking to dominate the region or fight against uh, the Israelites. So Israel's battles at this time were waged against her near neighbors, the Moabites, the Ammonites, or as here, the Philistines. And Israel competed on more equal terms with Moab and Ammon, but the Philistines had Greek military equipment. They had helmets, they had shields, they had chain mail armor, swords and spears, making them a more formidable enemy. So the Philistines were the first people in Canaan to process iron, and they made the most uh, of it. Now, let's go on in our text. Verse 2. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined the battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Now, something significant here that I want to draw your attention to. I want you to notice here, Israel's leaders did not seek the Lord to ascertain his will, his strategy, or presence in going out and attacking the Philistines. Now listen, this was Israel's first mistake. There's no sacrifices offered, just the confidence in themselves. And so the tribes were just excited about this campaign, but again... Without seeking the Lord, they went out into this battle. But on the day of the battle, as we are told there in verse 2, they were sorely surprised when they were routed by the highly disciplined Philistines. They were beaten, and they dragged themselves back to camp, trying to understand this defeat. Now, what do we take away from this? You know, what's the personal application of this in our own uh, lives? Well, listen. Don't be surprised if this will be our own experience. That is, we are defeated. We are dragging ourselves back to from where we came. If we don't seek the Lord, if we don't appeal to him, seek his uh, counsel. Now, why wouldn't we do that? And and I think that's a question that should be uh, raised. I mean, when you consider what the Bible tells us concerning our seeking the Lord, like, for example, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, And this has to do with, you know, whatever decision we're making. If we're coming up against an enemy that's more formidable than ourselves, or you're just making some kind of a a decision, you know, without bringing God into the equation, you know, you're setting yourself up uh, for uh, a terrible uh, result. In Proverbs chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, you're familiar, I'm sure, with this text. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and that's what Israel was guilty of. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then we have the promise, and he shall direct your paths. But obviously, Israel did not do that. Well, let's go on in our text. 
Notice there in verse 3, And when the people had come into the camp, after the battle, after they had been sorely defeated, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Duh! You didn't seek the Lord's counsel. That's the, you know, that's the answer to that question. Well, notice what they resolved themselves to do then. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. That was the place where the tabernacle was located, where the Israelites came to worship the Lord and offer their sacrifices. It was the place where Israel met with God. That when it comes among us, that is the Ark of the Covenant, it may save us from the hand of our uh, enemies. Now, you see, in the past, when Israel fought against their enemies, God's presence always ensured their success. For example, remember Joshua, the first city of conquest, when finally God's people entered into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Uh, the first city of conquest was the city of Jericho, right? And, uh, but they, at that time, received their instructions from the commander, we are told, of the Lord's army. And many Bible teachers believe that that is a reference to Jesus himself. That is, it was a theophanies. It was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. In fact, let's take a look at that text of Scripture whereby Jesus was giving his people, Israel, instructions on how to go about defeating their enemies and taking the city of Jericho. It's recorded for us in the book of Joshua in chapter 6 in verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. In other words, they were prepared for the, uh, this battle, uh, the uh, Israelites coming to uh, fight against them. And the Lord said to Joshua, okay, and there begins the instructions now. See, I have given Jericho into your hand before the battle even ensued. It's king and the mighty men of valor. Verse 3. And you shall march around the city, and these are the instructions, all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for a period of six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And there's the mention of the ark of the covenant. And I guess that was one of the reasons why they thought, you know, we need to bring the ark of the covenant out with us in battle against the Philistines, and, and that would determine whether or not we were going to be successful in the battle. But you know what? What they were doing was they were actually guilty on resting on what God had done for them in the past, which was wrong. They didn't seek the Lord. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And then in verse 5, And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat. Could you imagine that? You know, without even striking a blow, the walls of the city. And, it, and, and you know, this was a walled fortress, the city of Jericho. But when they shouted with a great shout, the walls would just fall down. Why? Because God was involved in this whole process. He had gone before them in battle. And the people shall go up every man straight, before him. And so, again, God is giving to his people the instructions. Well, anyway, having been conditioned to think in terms of externals, the only variable they saw between past victories and present defeats was the absence of the Ark of the Covenant. And acting presumptuously, 
Remember what the title of this morning's message is, The Danger of Presumption. Israel, on this occasion, going up against the Philistines, acting presumptuously, they sent to Shiloh for the ark that it may deliver them from their enemies. Now, listen, gang, that was their second mistake. Let's, you know, for a moment, talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the throne of God in Israel. It was kept in the most holy place of the tabernacle, but the people never saw it. It was only the high priest himself who entered and saw the Ark, and that only once a year during uh, the Day of Atonement today known as Yom Kippur. Well, the elders wanted to take this representation of the throne out of the Holy of Holies. They wanted to cover it and bring it into battle with them against the Philistines. And they hoped, presumptuously, that it would give confidence that God was really with them. Well, the elders rightfully sensed they needed God's help, so they were right in that respect, Uh, that would enable them to win the battle, but they were wrong in the way that they sought God's help. You see, instead of just humbly repenting before God and seeking God, they turned to methods that God never approved of. And so they thought that the presence of the ark would make God work and fight for them, but they were wrong. You see, Israel's leaders misused their knowledge of history, deluding themselves and all those who looked to them for guidance. Okay, let's pick up now verses 4 and 5. And so the people sent to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was located, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so uh, loudly, notice there, uh, according to our our text, uh, shouted uh, so loudly that the earth uh, shook. Well, Israel is elated, and they expected an easy victory because of the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what do we take away from this? Well, listen, feelings can be deceptive, and religious excitement is no guarantee of God's favor or blessing. Listen, the Israelites were all, you know, whipped up and, and with emotion and feeling and, and excitement. Listen, I can go on and on about making sure that you stay away from churches that are all about feelings, who whip up emotions without the teaching of the word of God. Now, I can do that, but I'm not going to do that this morning. You see, the presence of God, even though the Ark of the Covenant was present with them, the presence of God was absent, and their religion had become history from the past. Well, anyway, nevertheless, let's get back to the battle. Let's get uh, consider the way that the Philistines responded to this great shout that shook the earth. Nevertheless, the shouts of confidence aroused concern within the enemy's camps. Let's pick up in verses 6 through 8 now. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they ascertained, they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. 
And so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now, notice here, the Philistines were knowledgeable of Israel's past history. Their hearts were melting, but their leaders challenged them to be courageous. Notice there in verse 9, and I'm paraphrasing, they said in verse 9, don't allow yourselves to become servants of these ragtag Hebrews as they have been servants to you. Well, anyway, picking up now in the story, the next day the fighting resumed and Israel's defeat was made complete. Notice what is recorded for us in verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Okay, what a tragedy. I mean, think about that. 30,000 men were killed. And then in verse 11, we are told that the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, and Eli's two sons were slain in the battle. Quite a calamity, wouldn't you uh, agree here? Well, notice now, the scene quickly shifts back to Shiloh. Let's pick up now in verses 12 through 15. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle in the line or from the front line where he had been engaged against the Philistines on the same day, and he came back to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head which, by the way, back then within that culture was a sign of mourning. Whenever any disturbance had taken place or someone passed away or you know, some tragedy fell upon people there in the Middle East, that's the, that's the way that they would respond to it. Uh, they would tear their clothes and they would put dirt on their uh, head. Now, verse 13. Now, when he came, there was Eli, the high priest, sitting on a seat by the wayside, and he was watching for his heart trembled for the ark. You see, I believe that Eli, the high priest's conscience, was bothering him. Why was that? Because he knew that he let the ark of the covenant go on an unwise, superstitious errand. But that's what the people wanted. He was the high priest. He could have refused their request, but he didn't. And he allowed them to take the ark of the covenant out of the holy place to go out and uh, be a part of this uh, battle. Verse 14, when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this turmoil mean? And the man came quickly and told uh, Eli. So, okay, so what do we have here? What's the scene depicting? Well, Eli, the priest, according to our text, is now blind. He's sitting on a backless seat beside the highway, He's waiting for the news of the battle uh, to come back to him. A number of people are standing on the wall of the city uh, there in Shiloh. And notice this runner who had just come back from the front lines. He's speeding towards the city, a messenger from the battlefield. And breathlessly, he describes the events of the day. And one writer commenting on what this messenger had said, this is what the commentator uh, described it like, each item of information 
was like a blow of a hammer as it flattened the iron on the anvil of God's justice. Okay, so what did this messenger say? Well, let's pick up now in verses 16 and 17. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? And so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people, and also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. So this was a complete rout of Israel's army. Thousands of young men had been killed, and also Eli's sons had been slain in the battle, and the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines. Now, how did Eli the high priest respond to this? He's overcome with grief. He loses his balance. He's sitting on that backless chair, as I've just mentioned. And in verse 18, we read, Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off of the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for a period of 40 years. Now, before we go on, line by line, through this exposition, and we're doing a pure exposition of chapter 4, I want you to notice something here. Samuel is not mentioned in this story. Now, why is that? And you know, when I read that, you know, and this is the way that we should read the, the Word of God. You know, when something gets our attention, we ought to just stop uh, in the progression of our reading and ask ourselves some certain questions. Like, for example, why isn't Samuel mentioned in this account? Well, possibly, we're not quite sure, but possibly, and I, I think that this might be a, a good explanation, it was because Samuel was not in favor of any aggression against Israel's enemy at this time. Now, why was that? Because Samuel knew that God hadn't given them the green light to go out in battle against the Philistines. Well, nevertheless, after Samuel receiving this news, as the courier came back and gave him the news of what had taken place at the battle, Samuel must have realized that the Philistines, encouraged by their victory, would march on the city of Shiloh and destroy the city to demonstrate to their own satisfaction the superiority of their gods over Jehovah of Israel. And so what did Samuel do? Well, it's been suggested, we don't have this here in the account, but it has been suggested, and probably so, that Samuel was one of the members of the priesthood who hid the sacred vessels, knowing that the Philistines were on their way, the sacred vessels of the temple, and the records of the nations that were later found at the location of the city of Nob. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. First oh Samuel takes you from the pastures that David shepherded to Saul's palace, where David played his harp. It walks you through the battles that were won and lost, and it touches on one of the most unique friendships in the whole Bible. To say this book is interesting is an understatement. There are so many lessons to be learned from reading 1 Samuel. 
Ultimately, we're reminded that people wanted a human king. But no ruler or leader on earth will be perfect and they'll make many mistakes. Only God is perfect and is the very best king. Thanks for listening today. You can explore more of Pastor Mike's messages by searching for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday service so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for listening in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time as Pastor Mike teaches on 1 Samuel, here on In My Father's House.